from Exodus, but we are back in this wonderful book. Of course, the book you're presently preaching out of is your favorite book. So this is a Glad to be back, and I was also very, very encouraged and glad um, Tim Feathers came last week and preached really a wonderful message on union with Christ and how the believer is, well, is held fast, is firmly placed in Christ by faith, and that alone, no works, no other uh, religious hoops to jump through, but by faith alone, bonded to the Son by the Spirit. So I thank uh, Trinity uh, Bible for filling in in that weekend. We're going to turn back to Exodus chapter 9. We are going to finish this chapter starting in verse 13 today. This is the seventh plague, or as I've been assigning it, this is actually another sign, the eighth sign. The first sign being when Aaron's staff uh, gobbled up the staves of the magicians, but Nevertheless, this is the hail sign. Please follow along as I read aloud Exodus 9, chapter, or chapter 9, verse 13. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. Before this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send. Get your livestock and all you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of Yahweh among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of Yahweh left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and Yahweh sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth, and Yahweh rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent 
and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. Yahweh is in the right. And I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with Yahweh, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go. You shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to Yahweh. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is Yahweh's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear Yahweh God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to Yahweh, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as Yahweh had spoken through Moses. Gracious Lord, bless the reading and preaching of your word. Build up your people. Warn, warn as you do in your own magnificent, heart-piercing way, those who are not in you, that there is certain hail if they are not in Goshen. But thank you for your son who has absolved and exhausted the wrath of God for his people where there is no judgment. Build us up, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so several weeks ago, we started chapter 9, and we covered verses 1 to 12. And in that section, we covered the, the boils that fell upon the Egyptians and the, the livestock pestilence, this, this plague that came upon all the donkeys and camels and herds and flocks and all that. And what we mainly took away from there was another, was another look at Pharaoh the man. Um, if you recall, we looked at Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh's heart was described as being heavy. And a heavy heart is a malfunctioning heart. A heavy heart is a heart that is broken, a heart that is not working properly, a heart that doesn't respond to God's revelation appropriately. So as Yahweh has been revealing himself again and again to Pharaoh, his heavy heart causes him to see these signs not as things to be actually terrified of, but he thinks lightly of. And he doesn't see God's mercy as something actually to be esteemed and valued, but actually something to consider lightly and thrown away. So Pharaoh's heart is broken. So we had to kind of pause there because, for one, it's a long chapter, and that alone was worth dwelling on. But we're still in the same chapter. We're still in the same account. And now we're joining into the hail judgment. And this judgment is the point of no return for Pharaoh in Egypt. It is the point of no return 
when we started Exodus and, and the plague section, we, we mentioned that the plagues were, were a just judgment on Egypt for their slavery to Israel, their poor treatment to Israelites as slaves and, and, and many other things. And this is God's judgment. But if we kind of just put our um, forgetful hats on for a moment and pretend we only know what Pharaoh knows, he just sees these plagues happening one after another and he doesn't know when they're going to stop or when they're going to end, right? He sees the Nile turn to blood. He sees the flies, the gnats come, the frogs and all that. But he doesn't know when they're going to end. Well, now Yahweh through Moses tells Pharaoh, I'm bringing all of them upon you. The whole lot. And this is a point of no return now. And he's bringing them upon Pharaoh and his people. The point of the chapter though, or this section of the chapter, isn't more judgment. There's a very unique thing going on in this hail sign, this hail plague. And that is mercy. As much as God has shown Pharaoh that he is justly condemned, he has also repeatedly shown him mercy. And in this hail account, we have a few instances in which God shows that all of his dealings with Pharaoh have actually been merciful. And if Pharaoh thinks, uh, this is all you have, Yahweh, this is all you have to offer, this is your great power, he will be sorely mistaken to know that actually the next set of plagues will, for one, pierce him to his heart, and we'll get to that in a second, and two, they're all, they're all coming. He's bringing the whole lot. So what we see, though, is despite this judgment is a, is a constant theme of mercy. And, and God bringing mercy, chances to repent, chances to flee judgment throughout all of these verses in this passage. Now, we as Christians love God's mercy. We revel in God's mercy. We love grace. We love his steadfast love and his mercy. And we wholeheartedly believe he has shown that most concentratedly and most lavishly in Jesus Christ on the cross who has forgiven us of all of our sins. But God isn't only showing mercy through the cross. He is merciful to all, all day long. Not just to Christians. He is undoubtedly showing the epitome of mercy to his people through Christ. But his kindness would lead all to repentance. His mercy is shed upon all people. Because from the moment we sinned, we were indebted to God. And the debt to pay was death. The fact that God doesn't immediately strike us down when we have sinned is merciful. The fact that he actually lets us get married and have kids 
is merciful. The fact that we can enjoy a ribeye steak is merciful, or a glass of wine, or play koob, a crazy Scandinavian game with femurs and bones and skulls, is merciful. To enjoy the good world, well, I should say the world that was created good, and to enjoy all that it has is God's inherent mercy, a common mercy for all. A common mercy for all. And that same kind of benevolence and generosity of mercy, God gives all people. And he even shows it to Pharaoh, who is the absolute most stubborn, stiff-necked, diamond-forehead, hard-hearted man in the Bible. Next to, actually, Israel. But, but God gives mercy day in and day out. And he causes rain to fall on the wicked and the righteous. So we're going to go through this passage and look at how God's mercy has been extended and kind of underlying all of his affairs with Pharaoh. So first, mercy in God's grand plan. Mercy in God's grand plan. In verses 13 to 17, Yahweh has this speech he gives to Pharaoh, and it is an incredibly important speech to Pharaoh. And he says in this speech a, a message that could really be directed towards anybody. Any, anybody who is really at rebellion with God. And this speech has three parts. The first part is seen in verse 14. He says, This time I will send all my plagues. God has been merciful in, in actually not just sending the whole lot of plagues, but actually going from an increasing severity of his plagues to ultimately the worst and, and the most humbling and terrifying and the death of the firstborn, the 10th plague. But he has been going about this, bringing Pharaoh along to teach him, yet despite learning, and now he is sending all his plagues on Pharaoh and if you're using the ESV, it says, on you yourself. If you're using the NAS, it might read a little differently. Literally, it just says, I will send all my plagues on you, your heart. Heart rarely, rarely is a synonym for the person. Usually that's nefesh, that's soul. Heart by, by saying, I will send all my plagues on you, your heart, God is saying, I'm going to speak especially clear to you. And these messages will cut deeper than they did in the past. If you thought the Nile turning to blood was bad, buckle up. It's going to get way worse. <laughs> if you thought the flies, the gnats, the flogs, frogs, all that was bad, it won't pale into comparison to what will come. And so he's, he's wanting to pierce the hard, heavy heart of Pharaoh. Why? 
so that Pharaoh would know Yahweh is holy. The end of verse 14 there, on all, your, on all yourself, on your servants, your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. None like me in all the earth is just, it's just a message of God's holiness. God is unlike all people, unlike all things. He is completely altogether different. And he is like none of the gods of Egypt. He is like none of the pharaohs, none of the people they've ever met before. He is in a class all by himself. And he is taking Pharaoh from Pharaoh saying, Yahweh? Who's Yahweh? To, okay, I have sinned, Yahweh. And he's, he's bringing him along. So that's the first part of the speech. The second part of the speech is that mercy has actually held Pharaoh up. Mercy has held Pharaoh up. In verse 15, Yahweh says, For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. Yahweh says to Pharaoh, if you think my power has been exhausted, think again. You have only seen the fringes of my power. In fact, here's a, here's a very appropriate quote from Job 26, speaking of God's power. By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his wind, this is Yahweh's wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pleased the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. The NAS, I think, says the fringes. Just the very fringes of God's power. He created the world. It's not, he hasn't exhausted his power in the creation of the cosmos, and he surely hasn't exhausted his power in showing it to Pharaoh. So he is telling Pharaoh, if I wanted you gone, you'd be gone. You are no threat to me. You may puff out your chest. You may think you're something, but you are nobody to me. You are no real legitimate threat to God's kingdom. And that is a comfort to us. As, as we have seen, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's treatment of God's people and the, 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 um, the signification of Pharaoh and the enemy and Satan, Pharaoh, the enemy, wants to gobble people up. Gobble up Satan. Gobble up God's people. And Jesus, in the gospel or Yahweh here in Exodus, tearing Satan's house down brick by brick. Tearing it down. A stronger man coming against a strong man and wiping him out and plundering all his captives and taking him up into glory where they are seated, or they, you, the believer, in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus. So there is an implicit war spiritually going on here, but God is saying to Pharaoh, don't think for one minute I don't have other tricks up my sleeve or other exhibitions of power in my arsenal. If I wanted to, I could have cut you off like that. But, but by mercy, I have kept you up. The third part of this speech is in verse 16. He says, for this purpose... I have raised you up to show you my power 
so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Pharaoh, who does Pharaoh think put him in power? The Egyptian gods. Sobek, Ra, all these very multitude of Egyptian gods, thousands of Egyptian gods. And Pharaoh thought he was a, a human incarnate deity of the Egyptian gods. And, and by assignment of his kingship, he has sovereignty over Egypt. And Yahweh is saying, you have not been raised up by your so-called gods. I have raised you up. And I have embarrassed all of your so-called gods in the meantime. <laughs> One commentator says it like this, kind of paraphrasing verses 15 and 16, says, If I had not the intention, Pharaoh, of your knowing that there is none like me, I would have cut you off. You see, that, that's the implicit mercy in this speech. God is saying, if I had not the intention of using you to spread my name abroad and my mercy abroad and my fame abroad for all, I would have cut you off. But I'm actually using you. And we will see how God's mercy, while it might be refused of Pharaoh, isn't refused by everyone. There are, there are a couple instances when Israel comes into the land and because of what Yahweh did to Egypt, people come cringing to Israel, say, white flag, surrender. Um, we've heard about the fame of Yahweh and we want to be with you, Israel. We want to be on your side. Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho, if you remember the Gibeonite deception, they say, we have heard about what Yahweh did to Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world, and how he completely humiliated them and embarrassed them. And so we're, we Gibeonites have actually come from a faraway country. We put on raggedy clothes. We brought out these raggedy uh, cloths and old measly bread and and we don't know where to come from or who to, but we know that there is safety in you so this this proclamation verse 16 of Yahweh's power has gone out to all even though it's been refused by some and this is the message that Yahweh has for Pharaoh I'm bringing them all now upon you and it is now the point of no return. This speech serves as a, a clarifying speech for how God does all things. The number one pursuit, if you might want to use that word, of God is His glory. God wants to and does Proclaim his own glory for all to hear and for all to understand. Because in understanding and hearing it, we find our salvation. But that is God's chief pursuit. He'll use Nebuchadnezzar. He'll use Cyrus. He'll use Pharaoh. He'll use various people, believers or unbelievers. But that is his purpose. And this speech shows that is why he does what he does. 
He saves, he creates, he delivers, he sustains all things to show the world his glory. So this speech is that kind of, if you ever read a novel or a book or watched a movie and there's like a big grand speech at the end of it and it serves to like reinterpret all that happened earlier in the story, that's this speech. You know, you've seen the movie Inception and the guy goes, finally gets into the house and he spins the little top and you don't know if it's going to wobble, fall over or stay because you don't know if he's in a dream or not. That's this kind of thing. This is a completely interpretive device that Yahweh uses to show to us, to Pharaoh, why I do what I do, people. Yahweh does what he does because he displays his glory. The word in verse 16 to show, we might just think, oh, here, I'll, I'll show you this. It's a very purposeful word. It is an intentional putting on display. Walk into an art gallery, and there are, there are exhibitions of paintings, sculptures, whatever it may be, and they're purposefully put there at a certain distance, so you see, right, there might be a banner around the wall, so you don't get too close. You wouldn't appreciate the painting, right, if you did. They're purposefully put on display. And that's what Yahweh is doing here. He is purposefully, not just showing, he is exhibiting himself. Exhibiting himself as a glorious, glorious, powerful Lord who is also merciful. Who is also merciful. John Calvin would say, the whole world is the theater for the display of, of the divine goodness, wisdom, justice, and power of God. Why did God create the world? Why does God save? To, to show forth his glory, himself. And mercy lines all of this. If we read the Bible and we come away that God is angry, grumpy most of the time like a grandfather and doesn't want to be bothered. <laughs> no offense, grandfathers. <laughs> and he's just a vindictive God, a, a harsh God. And there's sin all over. Man is mean, cruel. There's tyrants like Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar. That's not those are not the main actors of this play. That's just the backdrop. That's just the backdrop of this stage where in, in, before it, God is putting out spots, fragments of mercy. The purpose of this isn't to show, oh, God is just a bad God, a mean God, and he uses Pharaoh despite his will or he uses people against their will. No, he's using a fallen, rebellious, angry, sinful creation. And despite their creation, he's actually showing how merciful he is in using and saving anyone. It, it is sometimes easy to focus on all the badness in the world and to read the Bible and see why, why is there this kind of judgment? Why is there this kind of sin going on? Those are not the point of the scripture. 
The point of Scripture is mercy and grace shown despite such badness. So this is God's grand plan, mercy undergirding all of it. Secondly, see mercy in the opportunity to flee from this plague. Mercy in the opportunity to flee. The next scene includes something new. God tells Moses, I'm going to bring hail upon Pharaoh and Egypt such as has never been seen before. They're going to receive record-breaking hail, maybe softball size or bigger hailstones. And it will utterly destroy everything. Plants, animals, people, it will destroy everything. And just like God has done to Egypt through other plagues, the livestock pestilence, the flies or whatnot, he is crippling this nation, crippling this nation so that Pharaoh and Egypt, they're going to have to trade, engage in business with, with other nations. They won't be able to rely on their own crops, their own herds, their own slaves, the labor force, the food supply, it's decimated. It is utterly decimated. <laughs> but that's actually not the new thing. The new thing is, is the opportunity to flee. No other plague that we've seen before Nile, turn to blood, the gnats, the flies, the frogs, the boils. And none of it, none of it contained a qualifier which said, if you wish to escape, do this. It just came upon him. The, narrow, the Nile turned to blood and everything was blood. Even the, the cups of water that were far from the Nile were blood. <laughs> there was never an option to flee the judgment. They would just have to endure it. And yet, with the severity of the plagues increasing, mercy actually comes out too. So God says, I'm going to cause very heavy hail to fall, verse 18. It's going to be like something you've never seen before, something like you never heard of before. Verse 19, here's mercy. Now, therefore, send. Get your livestock into shelter. Get man and beast that is in the field. Bring them into the houses. Bring them into shelter, or they will die. He's giving them an opportunity to live. He's giving them an opportunity to flee and not die. He has not done this before. And it is especially merciful because when the worst plague comes, not one Egyptian will be able to say, we never heard this before. Because just as the word went to Goshen and to Israel, you better put blood on the doorpost or the firstborn in your house is going to die and the firstborn in your beast is going to die. The Egyptians got the same message. Anybody who heeded the word of God was saved. Whether 
Now in Goshen here, Goshen is where Israel is living. There's no, there's no hail there. There's no judgment where people live, where God's people live. Hallelujah. There's no judgment on God's people. But there is judgment in Egypt. And even though there is a severe, very, very, very severe hail coming, God still says, here is a way of escape. If you want to live, get inside. Flee the hill. It is no coincidence. that our Lord so many times in the Old Testament is called a shelter. He is a fortress, a refuge, a shelter. God's people are in his house. And God is saying to these Egyptians, I don't desire you guys to die. <laughs> I am ramping up the plagues. And justly so. But I don't desire your death. Get inside and flee, and you will live. That's mercy. He didn't have to warn him, but he did. And so they do. Some of them do. And I couldn't help but thinking about this when Sadak was giving his testimony. Some Egyptians in their palace, in their homes, heard the word of Yahweh and feared it, verse 20, instead of Pharaoh. They heard the word of the Lord and they feared it. And by doing so, they are implicitly saying, Pharaoh, we think you're losing it. <laughs> this is a losing battle, Pharaoh. And you might want to go down the ship, but we don't. <laughs> and we, we don't have to get into the sincerity or the genuineness of this, but it says, whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses, but whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field, and they certainly died. This will happen again later on. There's always little, little glimpses um, kind of peppered throughout this Exodus account where one thing happens and we see it again later on, and we see this again later on. Not only the mercy extended as in flee the judgment by heeding the word of God, and then Egyptians given the same command, but also when Israel finally leaves Egypt, they go out with a mixed multitude. They're not going out with just Israel. They're no doubt going out with maybe Israelites who married Egyptians and they have a family and they're all going out now or other nations who were enslaved in Egypt. But the mixed multitude shows that Egyptians themselves were leaving they saw there's a better future for God for themselves in the wilderness with God than in a palace with Pharaoh. 
they concluded, I can't understand all of this, but I know one thing. If I want to live, I better fear Yahweh. (laughs) I better take him at his word and heed his word. And so Yahweh is just embarrassing, decimating, just crippling this nation and the heart of Pharaoh. Pharaoh does not have a tight grip on his nation. They're jumping off ship. They're starting to fear the Lord. And Yahweh is tearing his house down. Tearing it down. A similar thing would happen in the New Testament. When Jesus and the disciples would preach the gospel, prominent Jews, people in Herod's house, would come to faith and they would leave they would leave the privileges that they had in Roman society and they'd say, you know what? That gospel assures me of something far, far, far better than what I presently have. And I would much rather, as Moses did, Forget all the pleasures of Egypt and pursue by faith Yahweh, Christ, Yahweh incarnate. So whether it's here in Exodus, whether it's in the New Testament, when the gospel comes to people, there is an undeniable and inevitable decision. Will you have your life and live Or do you want to cling on to a so-called fortress that the enemy has provided, which is actually equipped with shackles and keeps us imprisoned, or go with the Lord? When a sinner fears the word of the Lord, they realize this isn't just a mental counting of the cost oh, okay, I'm going to do my arithmetic and life is going to be better with God than without God. No. The kindness of the gospel wins the sinner's heart over. The kindness of God and mercy in the gospel wins the sinner's heart over so that they leave all the pleasures of Egypt, the pleasures of the world, whatever it may be, and are willing to say, like Sadak, well, I'm a, I'm a wanted man now. And I have my dad, the secretary of defense, or whoever his, whatever his title is, putting out hits on him. But he found a better possession in Christ. Then that's before everyone. Pharaoh, I'm only reading between the lines, Pharaoh must be incensed that people are leaving his authority, his house, and are going with Yahweh. (laughs) So there is mercy in this great plan of God. There is mercy in this opportunity to flee. And there is also mercy given to Pharaoh and also again refused. There's mercy extended and refused. 
in the rest of the chapter, verses 22 to 35, the hailstorm comes. It just demolishes the, the land. Hail, lightning, thunder, rain, just demolishes it. And it strikes down everything in the field, man and beast. And to this, Pharaoh sent, in verse 27, he called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I've sinned. Yahweh is in the right. I and my people are in the wrong. His heart has been pierced. He gets it. He is knowledgeable of his own sinfulness and wickedness and the Lord's justice. He has gone from arrogantly saying, who is the Lord? (laughs) To Yahweh is in the right. Yahweh is in the right. Now, I'm not going to get into this confession. Um, There's a lot to be said about why Moses says in verse 30, I know that you don't fear the Lord. You have this confession. You admit your own sinfulness. You admit your God's own righteousness. But I know you don't fear the Lord. I, I can't get into all of that. We don't know if he's actually sincere or if he's just lying or if this is just a, a, a genuine confession. But he decides to basically walk it back later on. There's, there's no point in getting into that. What we do know is that this hard-hearted man has been brought to the point where he can do nothing but accept and then proclaim God is right. I am in the wrong. So he takes Moses, God's assigned mediator, and he says, plead, verse 28, plead with the Lord, There has been enough of God's thunder and hail, and I will let you go. Moses has heard this tune before. (laughs) He sung this song before. And earlier, Moses said, don't cheat me again, like you did last time. And yet he does it. So mercifully, Moses takes this false confession. He goes out of the city. He says in verse 29, I will stretch out my hands to Yahweh. The thunder will cease. There will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. Again, there is that resounding theme. Pharaoh, you must know the earth doesn't belong to you. It is Yahweh's and he is sovereign and king over all of it. So this is, this is a battle of kings. And as Moses says that, he also then says, but as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. And what does Moses do? What does God do? So just real quick, the 31 and 32, the mention of the flax and barley and wheat, um, is just saying what time of year this happened in. But, But Moses goes out from Pharaoh And he stretches out his hands to the Lord. And we must wonder, like, this is just a providential kindness. Moses is walking through the hailstorm. None of these softball-sized hailstorms are pelting him in the head. By God's mercy, and he stretches out his hands. 
the rain and the hail stop. They stop. And I, I wish the story stopped. So you may say, well, where's the mercy? God takes a false confession of Pharaoh even though he, he, he knows he's lying. God knows he's lying and he still causes the hail to stop. God, God would be plenty just in saying, no, you don't fear me. I'm going to keep raining down these hailstones. But he doesn't. In mercy, he actually causes the hail to stop. And you just must want to see this scene, right? The, the clouds, the dark clouds go away. The sun starts to shine again. And as the sun shines, like the corn is just like laying on its, it's just, it's just down. The grass is d- destroyed. All those cattle and camels are laying down. They're dead. People are dead. And you would just see like destruction everywhere. You know, and, 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 the, and the beauty of, oh, a wonderful sun has, a, has come back. There's no more clouds, no more dark clouds and foreboding hail clouds anymore. There's finally a relief. Look down and then there's just death. Just death. Instant mercy happens to Pharaoh. Even with a false confession or at best, an incomplete confession. It would be, it would be, it's not complete because he says, I've sinned, the Lord is in the right, and me and my people have sinned. It would be complete. A lot of people say, I know I'm not perfect. And I know that God would be just in punishing me and sending me to hell. And I know there's a God, and I know he is generally good. But, I don't want Jesus. That's a lot. That's what a lot of people say. There is an eternity between I've sinned, the Lord is in the right, and I've sinned, the Lord is in the right, and I want to use your means of rescue, Lord, for my life. A lot of people say verse 27. Only the Christian says verse 27, and I will take you at your offer, be merciful to me. I will take you at your appointed mediator, Jesus Christ, and I will run to him for refuge. There's an eternity between those two kinds of confessions. But nevertheless, this is a false, incomplete confession, and still God causes the hail to stop. There are numerous parents in this room, and I know from experience that when your child lies to your face, you are not prone to give them what they want. (laughs) You are not prone to say, okay, I will be merciful. But God, rich in mercy, causes the hail to immediately, instantaneously stop. And Pharaoh sees that, And his heart goes from a soft, malleable, 
pliable heart to hardened again. Closes up, he hardens his heart, and he responds wrongly to this hail. And he doesn't let Israel go, and we would have the next chapter. But that doesn't mean God wasn't merciful. Just because it wasn't accepted doesn't mean God wasn't merciful. He was very merciful. I just want to close with one point for our evangelism. Christians are perfectly in the right to evangelize our non-Christian friends and family by telling them they've, they've transgressed God's law, they're, they're guilty of breaking God's law, and God, therefore, is just in punishing them with what he said he would punish them, which is eternal death. That kind of evangelism is not unbiblical. I would appeal to all of us, though, in appealing to the gracious nature of God in giving even the non-Christian acts of mercy and kindness. If our evangelism is nothing but you've sinned, God's going to punish you unless you repent, it's not unbiblical. But if we point out to the non-Christian God has been so gracious to you. He's given you children. He's let you go fly fishing. You live in Cody and you do all the outdoor things you want to do. You've lived a long life. You've had good health. You have kids who are genuinely compliant. (laughs) And you have all these mercies. Non-Christian, you cannot say God has not been kind. You cannot say God has not been merciful. He has been merciful to all people. I don't know how to necessarily turn this around other than saying, but the richness of that mercy is still lost on you if you are outside of Christ. The richness of the mercy is found in Christ alone. And we could... We can thank our deity of choice by good weather, enjoying red wine, or lamb chops, or whatever hobby you want to do. And God has given many good gifts to all people. But the most good gift and the most concentrated form of mercy isn't a glass of Chardonnay. It's Jesus Christ. There, there is no immediate quick fix for the sinner outside of Christ. I'm not saying any evangelism technique is foolproof. What I am saying is this. Appeal to the goodness of God that he has given all people. Not only God's justice, but also God's goodness. That he has been kind to even the most rebellious sinner who was saved who was saved late in life or later in life okay a couple 
a couple of you. You were, you were refusing God for years. For years. Decades, maybe. At any moment, God could have said, I'm done. I've given you a million reasons why and opportunities to repent. But he didn't. He actually kept showing you mercy and kindness and a common grace eventually until you came to him. And all I'm saying is in our evangelism, we need to point out that, yeah, God is just to send people to hell, but also what do they have that they have not been given? The only thing we have from God or the only thing we have from life has been given to us by God. Evangelize by pointing out the universal mercy. Not saving mercy, but the universal mercy that God has given all. And also, may the Lord then open our eyes to what he has given us and cause us to boast in our King of mercy, Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Would you, would you overwhelm us with the mercy found in the gospel? Overwhelm us with the truth that it is the kindness of the Lord, his patience that leads us to repentance. Your message is not only judgment, although there is judgment for the non-repentant. But your, mercy, but your message also includes mercy. How you have been so kind to all people despite the obstinacy we have given in return. Your mercy is our only hope. We thank you that we have it in full measure in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. You can stand for our next song.